Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations. Today, we are continuing our conversation on being offended. And if you remember from last time, we talked about the moment in history that we live in, where people have become increasingly sensitive. There's this sense that if anyone says something that you don't like or has an idea that you don't agree with, that constitutes an offense. And we can call people out on that offense. We can shield ourselves from all kinds of offense. We can create safe spaces. And Z, as you and I were talking about this last week, we spent a lot of time talking about the cost of this mentality. The cost is we shut down ideas, we shut down free thinking, we end up in a very Orwellian society where we lose the ability to express ourselves. And ultimately, the more things that offend and the more perfection we try to create in terms of the ideas that we expose ourselves to, the more we shut ourselves off from the world. And what good is that? Because then we lose our relationships, we lose mutual understanding. If people do have different ideas, we lose the opportunity to engage with them and change their mind. So it becomes a very limiting way to live, and the world becomes a very scary place. Today, we're continuing that discussion, and what I'd like us to focus on, Z, is not so much what the problem is, which I think we describe quite a bit, but why this has come about. Why have we gotten to the point where, as a culture, we're so sensitive? And most importantly, what can we do about it? How can we really reclaim that sense of self so that we're not living at the whims of what other people think or what we think they think or how they speak? So as we were talking about this, I was remembering our conversation from last week. We talked about the N-word, which sounds like this really scary word in today's society. And you and I both hate the term N-word. It's like, just come out and say it. Just say nigga. It's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean that the skies are falling down. And as I, as I was remembering this, I thought about a an episode of The Chappelle Show that I saw years ago. And this, I thought, was one of the funniest things that I'd seen. So he does a sketch where there's a TV set, and it looks like a TV set from the 1950s. It's in black and white, and you've got this perfect white family. Uh, the husband is dressed up in a suit. The children are perfectly dressed. The wife is made up. Her hair is done right. And they're all coming down, and they're meeting at the breakfast table, and they've got these big smiles on their faces. And the caption for the show, it's a little jingle, and it goes, N-I-G-G-A-R, we're the nigger family. <laughs> and then they spend the entire episode referring to themselves as niggers. So the son is sitting around on the couch, and the dad is like, Man, you are one lazy nigger. <laughs> and then Dave Chappelle comes over, and he takes a look at everyone, and he sees them arguing back and forth, and he's like, God damn, you're a bunch of crazy niggers. So it goes on like this, and I just found this so funny. And as I thought about this, he completely reframed the use of that term. So when nigger is your last name, it's okay for white people to say nigger. It's okay for them to refer to each other as lazy niggers. And we can laugh about that because we can say, okay, I realize they're using a word that's very offensive in a context that's not offensive. But what's really changed about that? 
the word hasn't changed, the language hasn't changed, our perception, our perspective has shifted. And I think that's a central theme of what we want to talk about today, which is how can we change that internal wiring that we have? How can we change our narratives so that we see things more clearly? Not all words need to offend. Sometimes we don't even know what offends. We just think that we should be offended because other people are telling us that we should be offended. Even the word offense, as you and I talked about, Z, originally offense meant some injury. And today it's just turned into a word that describes anything that we don't really like. So let's talk a little bit about this. Let's talk about narratives. And maybe to kick us off, you can share some thoughts on where we've gone wrong. How have we gone from a point where offense meant some serious physical harm to a place where in today's society, any ideas that we don't want to hear, we're so sensitive to that we find it offensive? Yeah, Vin, I'll get into that in a moment. I want to follow up on what you said about the David Chappelle show and tell you an actual uh, story in history, in recent history. During the times in South Africa when there was a apartheid, was, was a, the state policy, when it was an open state policy, they invited a bunch of bodybuilders to do a bodybuilding contest in South Africa. And at the time, Arnold Schwarzenegger was the big guy to go to. And I've met Arnold Schwarzenegger on a few occasions at Gold's Gym. I bought a car from him, stuff like that. Um, and, and what I noticed about him when I first met him, he was a very warm and approachable person. That's the one thing that I picked up right away. He was a jock. He was uh, simple in his kindness, very direct, and uh, uh, actually very warm person. He had dedicated himself to his sport and his athleticism, brought himself up from very little to being a household uh, name. So he told the story, and many people repeated the story, how they were invited to South Africa during the time of apartheid. And he says, I'm going to get the best bodybuilders and my friends. I want them all to go with me, and we're going to do this show. And the guy said, fine, great. We're going to put on this amazing bodybuilding show in South Africa. And he got there, and, and they were going, and, and the guy said, hold up. You know, we got to separate the groups, and uh, there's some, we got to fix the groups up. And I said, yeah, yeah, he's going. He says, so where are you taking my friends? And he says, oh, we don't allow these black niggas to be with white people in South Africa. He says, what? How come I'm not allowed in South Africa? He says, no, you're allowed, but black niggas aren't. He says, my God, this is horrible. He says, what do you mean? He says, that's my name. My name is Schwarzenegger, black nigger. That's what it actually means. His name means black nigger, okay? So when they said that, they had to go through this heavy explanation to him that, that it was they meant white people. And he says, oh, no, that's unacceptable. So they made all the bodybuilders of color official whites while they were in South Africa to skirt the laws. Actual story. I'll show you how ridiculous stuff like that is. Um, and getting to the point that you're making, where have we gone wrong? Just like taking medication, most medications have another effect, which we call side effect, but they are actually an inevitable consequence of the medication itself, right? You take something to get rid of something, it causes something else because 
there's always a give and take. There's always a, a, an unspoken interest or tax on any medication you take. That's why there is the push to go holistic or go nutrition-wise, right? So this goes back to something we talked about some time ago. One of the inevitable consequences, or as people commonly refer to as side effects, it is the side effect of entitlement. And the more that you take that drug, the more adverse side effects you will have. And one of the adverse side effects is you're constantly irritated. They might as well put on the pill box of entitlement will cause itching, will cause discomfort, will cause reddening of the ego, right? Bulging of the eyes. So you will find offense in places you would have never found it before, just like an itch or, or something you have to scratch in an out-of-weight place. So when you speak to people who are offended, you ask them, so what is it that would have made you less offended? Rarely can they say, or what they say is very hard to repeat or listen to. I want everybody to interact with me to the place which is the most ideal for my individual temperament because I should have a right to that. I need the world itself to adjust its gauge to my gauge, to my liking, to my set point. Why should we do that? Because I'm entitled. So entitlement has a lot of ill effects that go along with it. This topic is one, and just like taking the wrong medications, now you have to remedy the problem the medication has caused. Now you have to remedy the offense sort of sensitivity, this, this hypersensitivity to uh, words and what other people say. There has to be another remedy to that. And as we're talking about that, we can see all the ill effects that it has on people. When you're readily offended, it's very hard to find things that don't offend you. And the solutions become more and more complex to the point where the only solution at some point is to isolate yourself from the world. Because the world can only accommodate X number of temperaments in a collective that we share known as life on earth, this, this societies of all kind. So when you go to China, and if you're not familiar with visiting Asia, China has billions of people in China, maybe a billion or two, in the same landmass as the United States, which has a bit over 300 million. So when Westerners often go to China, they say, oh, the Chinese are rude. They push you. They, they move you out of the way. You can't stand and stare and gawk at things because, and then you ask your Chinese, I ask you know, my Chinese family, I say, hey, why do you think these Westerners call Chinese rude? And they'll explain, look, we don't have the time nor space to dwell in our likes and dislikes. 
If you want a coffee, get a coffee. If you're standing there looking at the menu, we're going to push you out the way and get a coffee. We know what we want before we get to the front of the line. But to a Westerners, that's rude. Oh, they're rude. Chinese person, I'm not entitled to spending a lot of time up there. They're, it's too crowded. Bottom line. So you walk around mad and angry at the Sino culture, right? You're just angry. Then you say that about other cultures. Because you feel that everything should fit your comfort. There's a big controversy, you know, again, talking about the Asian concept, about whether ball players should be for or against China. Right? There's this big deal. Should you be for or against China? Again, entitlement. There's somebody that has a view, pro or con, that thinks everybody else should hold that view. That person wields the keyboard, rallies up the others who are, again, have been medicated with entitlement, so thus they're hypersensitive to offense. So now all you have to do is provide the dog whistle of offense, whatever the subject or topic is, and people run with that. They're offended by it. There's no deep study of the topic. There's no contemplation. There's no analysis. It is just simply the inevitable side effect or causality of entitlement. I have the right for the world to fit my temperament in that moment. If it doesn't, I will make a fuss. I will complain. I warned her, my babysitter the other night, wanted, we went to get something to eat. Went to one of the vegetarian spots. We order the food on the on the uh, internet there. We get on the internet, on the phone, order so we can go pick up. Kids are hungry, everyone's hungry. Let's get in, get out. She gets there, we're waiting for our order. We got there pretty quickly and they said it'll be about five minutes. We sit down and I notice she's arguing with the woman at the counter. She comes back and I said, what are you arguing about? Well, we ordered it on the phone, I said, you ordered it literally three minutes ago. They say right here on the phone, when will it be ready? Oh, okay. Then she's arguing again. She says, well, I forgot to add that I don't want mine's spicy. I said, look, leave these people alone. They're going to spit in your food because I would spit in your food. You should be happy that you can now go to a place and within 10 minutes of walking in, a huge order is ready for you to go. If you didn't fill out your uh, wants and needs, don't attack the people. You see, here's a, ni a normally nice person that suddenly is attacking the wait staff, attacking the most vulnerable, the people who are waiting on you and providing your nutrition. And, and I said, don't ever do that with me. Order your food separately. Curse out the cook the waiter, the dishwasher, and anything you want to do. But don't put it on my order. Okay? So this mentality that we have to constantly have the restaurant adjust to us. The, be the, 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 the what's they call it? The barista must adjust to us. So this is a, a, a disease right now. And the cause and the side effects of, of drinking that horrible potion are all the things we're talking about. 
offended about this, offended about that. There were people here in California who were having a fire season. And they, uh, the utility companies were sued for burning up the forest. So in response to the billion-dollar lawsuit, multi-billion-dollar lawsuit, they said, well, from here out, whenever the wind blows, we're going to cut your electricity off so we don't risk knocking a wire doesn't fall down and start a fire that you guys are going to sue us for. Everybody laughed. Everybody was real happy. Now the winds have come. First thing they do is cut out the power. But the problem is the fires have come with the wind, so now there's fire with no electricity anywhere in those areas. So they were talking about the gridlock. There was a gridlock of hundreds of thousands of uh, commuters because what comes with no electricity? No lights. No lights, no street lights. And what comes with no street lights? And an entitled society that is easily offended. Everybody is demanding to get to the front of a line. So you have 100,000 people in rush hour traffic that are demanding to cross the street first. So they're still waiting for tow trucks to come and move cars from this morning. That is the end result of being offended. Everybody's so offended, no one can be polite because they want you to be polite first. And then up your politeness to maybe a song and a dance or maybe offer a gratuity for their presence so as to not offend them. So all commerce is now shut down. It is the Armageddon of offense. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, this idea that offense is tied to entitlement makes a lot of sense. And we've talked about entitlement in the past. I like your perspective on entitlement. So you go back to the classical philosophies and cite the Vedas, and the Vedas say that you're entitled to nothing, period. You are not even entitled to the fruits of your own labor. So if you go out, you bust your ass, you make a lot of money, you're not even entitled to that. And it's very absolute. It sounds very harsh. At the same time, it gets rid of all expectations. So it completely changes your mindset. And instead of being offended, you're grateful for anything that you receive. Your bar is zero. You expect nothing. Anything you get is a gift. Being alive is a gift. It's an entirely different mentality. It's an entirely different way of interacting with the world. And when you talk in these terms, I think there's a certain purity to that view. The other thing that we've talked about, and we mentioned this last week, you've said to me in the past, Vin, no one can offend me. It doesn't matter what you say. I cannot be offended. And at a logical level, to me, that makes a lot of sense. Because if I think about what offends... Either you're listening to ideas that have merit or they don't have merit. If they don't have merit, who cares? If the people who are providing those ideas aren't people that you respect or you want to interact with, who cares? You're free to leave. Why would that be a burden on you? Conversely, if it's an idea that you don't like, but it does have merit, it can change your thinking, it can advance your knowledge, then you should be open to it. Then being offended is really a way to limit yourself. So either ideas and words have no meaning and can be ignored, or you should proactively be listening to them so that you can better your own life. And in that sense, there's really no room for offense. The only offense is you've described is if someone's actually kicking you in the gut or they're punching you in the head, they're offending you, they're doing some injury to you. 
But words by themselves, so what? They have no meaning. And even if we shut down the words, the intention behind those words is still there. Why wouldn't that be equally offensive? And then what's the natural outcome of that? Are we going to police people's thoughts? Are we going to force them to do our bidding? It turns into uh, almost a ridiculous science fiction story. Uh, We talk about a reality that can't possibly exist. So if we just go back to things that are very simple, which are narratives and ideas, such as I'm entitled to nothing, words, whatever they are, ideas, whatever they are, do not have the power to offend me. They cannot injure me. Life becomes a lot easier. We can go through life without wasting time, without wasting energy, and we might actually learn a thing or two here and there. So I like these ideas. I guess one question for you would be, is there anything that would offend? Is there a limit that you see in this world, whether it's speech, whether it's someone's tone? Is there anything that someone could say or could share that we should say, you know what, that's gone too far. Let's pull that back. We should not allow people who are living together in a society and trying to coexist peacefully to say those sorts of things. What goes to the old thing with the um, the right to free speech? You have a right to free speech, but you don't have a right to yell fire in a movie theater, right? You will suffer the consequence of that. If you say, I'm going to kill you, I have an expectation at that point to accept what you're saying and do what I need to do to prevent your next move, right? We all understand those who think that there are consequences to our mantras, to our speech, to our projection, and then accept that, but also have the wherewithal and go deeper than you're not taking it personal. Even a robber who comes up to you and says, damn it, give me all your money. It's not personal for that robber. They not, may not even remember you. Yeah, you'll feel horrible being robbed. What a violation uh, of, of your sense of freedom. But know that what has happened is your sense of freedom has been violated. Not you as the individual but you in general and your ideas about fairness and society. And if you see it that way, then you can be against crime. You can be against assaults of all kind, but you're not against the individual. You know that the individual represented the vehicle of the assault And this is where we get it wrong, is when we have framed every order of offense as an assault. And so an exercise you do is often work on being a good listener. What is the intention of what the person says? When you go to a, a comedy workshop, The intention of the comedian is to draw a laugh from people. That is his intention. Whether you laugh at his joke or not is up to you. Those performers, gestures, uh, thespians, all these people are pretty hardened to um, rejection. They've chosen a field 
an art of endeavor where they're waiting for a response and they're working for it and they're reaching for it with every tool they have. So one of the exercises you can do is go to a comedy store and just sit and listen. If you laugh, you laugh. If you don't, you don't. But understand what they do in that place. Don't get angry when they talk about your mama as opposed to somebody else's mama. Don't get angry when you go to a music festival and you're listening to the latest Niggas With Attitude um, rendition and you don't like the lyrics to the song. That's really your problem. You get to a, a political debate and people are using tools to win the debate and you feel angry and you're sitting up at night because you don't like their position on something. Ask yourself, how does this really affect my life? And if it has a, a strong effect on your life, you have then an opportunity to work on your life. That means you have to really redefine your life and take your life back. So. Being very clear on what's a threat to your person and what's a threat to your your comfort so that you don't become the pendulum swings in such a way where you're the offender, right? You're the actual one assaulting people's liberties and freedoms when you start telling people what they can and can't say. So there's different things. For example, when they were shaming cigarette smokers, that was a good cause in the sense that cigarette smoke could not be contained within the lungs of the smoker. So everyone within the vicinity of that smoker had to partake in the, the, the toxins released by that cigarette. So that's offensive. That's offensive. When you do things to others without their consent, that's actually assault on your health. If it's words that you hear, you don't have to listen. That's the way the senses are made. Hell, my wife talks to me all the time. Half the stuff she says, I don't even hear. I don't know what she's saying. So the senses don't have to take in 100% of what's out there. And we can exercise that part of us. We can direct our own sensibilities. We can't direct the sensibilities of others. So be careful of the kind of camouflaging, the stealthy nature of the mind being co-opted by outside forces in a sense. I always talk about the faceless committee as a term I use, that people tell you you should be offended and, and, and like a dog after a bone, you just go and fetch it. So we want to watch ourselves. Know the difference between an offense and assault. Know the difference between being offended and being threatened. Now they're saying the offense is the threat. Have you heard that? You've heard that lately, right? They're saying, oh, I felt threatened because of their social view. I feel threatened because of blah, blah, blah. So now the very existence of others is threatening you. We saw in the contemporary media recently, people were threatened by people playing loud music or having barbecues in the park. And they called the police to intervene because the happiness of those people were was an offense to them. And that offense went from offense to an actual threat on their person. 
excuse me, what the only thing happening is the people were enjoying themselves in a park and they weren't invited to the party or whatever it is. So you have a lot of these situations is the natural outgrowth of again, a natural side effect of, 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 of enlightenment. So we exercise that. We learn to talk to people. And, and something you'll notice when you guard yourself, when you protect your mind against these ghost assaults, right? You find that you actually develop better communication with people. I was teaching um, Caitlin some martial arts movements today. She came up and disturbed me in my peaceful moment and said, hey, can you show me blah, 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 just to get her the hell out of the room. I gave her a few moves. And she was doing it in her typical uh, kind of weed-addled way, not really responding quickly and uh, smart, uh, fit, uh, but just sluggish, uh, usually from the cannabis indulgence. So I just yelled at her. I said, get moving, go. One, two, three, four, five. That was the move. She says, okay, one, two, three, four, five. She did that, right? That's the weed. And I said, get a move on it, damn it. Move. And then she moved and she got it. Now she could have said, you know what? I'm offended by the tone of your voice. She would have never learned the martial arts move. Why? For There's a few reasons. Because for one, she disturbed me in my downtime, right? So she was kind of rude, but also she was pushy enough to be admired because she wanted to learn something. That's how you learn. You go to the person that has knowledge, you figure out a way to uh, infringe upon their space, which is what I did to be a learn martial arts or learn anything, yoga, anything. You ask them in, in whatever way you can, can you share that with me? Oftentimes, teachers are obligated by the celestial ethics to share with a student. The yogi shares with the chelas, right? The master shares with the students. So I say, here, let's go for it. Because teaching elevates the teacher. It's seva is one of the uh, paths to karma yoga, which is the highest form of yoga. So I was showing her the move and then with all that, though, I'm still going to yell at her because I'm grumpy. I'm trying to get her to get it so she can get it and get the hell out of my way. And also so I can feel proud of myself that I taught one of these uh, kind of members of this generation how to do something useful. So there's a lot going in in there. But what if she would have ran, stormed off saying, oh, my God, he raised his voice and he didn't say it just the way I wanted him to say it. She would have learned nothing. But she actually did. She learned enough to put on her Twittergram or whatever. She's going to show it to all her friends what a kick-ass martial artist she is. So it required her to come at me and not be offended by my response to her. And so thus there was a learning taking place. Imagine if we eliminate all the things that people say offend them. Then you're not really engaging. Like you said, Vin, the thought police are in full gear. Human relationships will be bland and numb, sterile. It will be beyond stoic. It will be lifeless, right? Zombie-like. We'll be necromancing with each other, right? Because 
it, it's too hard to do. It's like, wow, it's so much effort just to interact with someone. You're trying to read what will offend them. You're trying to see the list of daily offenses. So it's just better to be alone. Right? Better to be alone. I even heard of certain jobs now going into people's social media to see if at any time in their social media history did they do ever do anything offensive. So if you did something offensive in the third grade, you can't get a job at 30. How about that? That's where we've gotten to. So there's no room to grow or develop. You have to hit it right the first time or you eliminate it. So the pendulum has swung in, in a dire way. You follow me, Ben? Yeah, there's so many things that you're saying that resonate. This idea that you go through someone's history and make sure they've never offended anyone, it's so disingenuous. How can anyone go through life without offending anyone? Unless they don't have a life. Yeah, unless they have nothing that they're passionate about, nothing that they're interested in, unless they talk about topics that don't intersect with, with what anyone else cares about. And then there's no utility in life. There's no utility in being human, in relationships. So it all becomes very depressing. As you were talking about Caitlin, I was thinking, how many people have been offended by you because you're black? And you hold yourself up as an expert in Chinese medicine and martial arts. You've probably turned a bunch of people off. You've told me before that people have come in expecting some old Asian guy and they find you. And they're probably offended and they, and they leave. And you're a phenomenal teacher. And so they lose that opportunity to better themselves because you're not consistent with the idea that they had in their mind. And I think as we get into this, there are a few things you said that suggest certain remedies that we can go through. We talked about entitlement, changing that narrative, being able to coexist with other people. Beyond that, you also mentioned ideas because offense has gone from something that represents an actual physical threat to comments, words, ideas that we simply don't agree with. So let's ask, how did that happen? If you think about how a lot of us define ourselves today, we define ourselves in tribal ways. We define ourselves based on our associations, our ideologies, our beliefs. And somehow we believe that because I'm a Republican, because I'm a Trump supporter, or maybe on the other side, because I hate Trump and I can't stand anything that he says, that gives my life value. That gives me meaning. I'm fighting for something that's right and just. And if you pull that into your identity, then anything contrary to that belief becomes an offense because it becomes a personal attack. But this is where we've completely lost our way because it's not us. It's just an idea, and it's an idea that we subscribe to. It doesn't define us. It doesn't shut out the universe of competing thought that may take us in a different direction. So a lot of the narrative that we have to develop is just a narrative about who we are, what defines us, what is our identity, what are we comfortable tolerating, and that will help us parse through what's an actual offense versus something that maybe we're just uncomfortable hearing. And to your point, Z, if we are uncomfortable and we do feel offended, that's an opportunity to say, why am I so offended? Why is this such a sensitive topic? Am I giving this too much weight? Am I somehow generating my self-esteem from holding on to a particular idea? Because that's a very limiting thing to do. So maybe we can get beyond that. 
I think another narrative that comes up that we should try and correct is this idea that everyone's got to like us. And it's two things. So one, it's this idea that other people have to like us, which clearly they don't. They're free to like us or dislike us. And two, it's a sense that we're the ones who judge what constitutes liking us. So we judge what acceptable behavior is. And if you talk about your example, if your tone is a little bit too sharp, that's not the way that someone treats me if they liked me, if they respected me. Well, who the hell knows? Maybe you've got a different view about life. And maybe you come from a generation where you're into fatherly love instead of motherly love. And you're used to beating people up a little bit uh, to push them and to get them to do better. Uh, So it could just be a different context, a different way that we've grown up. But we lose the ability to communicate and understand these nuances when we have these narratives in mind that everyone's got to like us. And not only do they have to like us, they have to prove it to us in a way that we define. They have to meet our standards. So I think these are three narratives that are useful taking a look at this idea of entitlement, which is patently false. Uh, This idea that we draw self-esteem from the causes we're associated with, uh, from the ideologies that we support. And third, the narrative that people need to like us and they need to prove it to us. So I think that's a starting point. Maybe that can help us get through uh, some of the challenges we have around offense. I also like your idea around intention. I think intention is incredibly important. The day after we had our discussion last week, I found this article in the New York Times. It talked about two college students who were walking around saying the word nigger, and they were shouting it out. So one would shout nigger, and the other would shout nigger even louder, and then they would laugh, and they would laugh hysterically. And someone videotaped this. So they weren't even directing this to anyone. They weren't aware that they were being videotaped. They weren't trying to verbally harass anyone. They weren't putting anyone down. They were just amusing themselves. Why would they do that? Well, if you step back, number one is they're young and they're doing stupid things. So it could be that. It could be that they're being a little bit rebellious because they know that they've got the power to offend and they want to take a stand and speak their own mind instead of being shackled by all these limits that we put on people. That's another possible intention. A third intention, maybe they're a little more sophisticated, and they want to expose how ridiculous it is that people get offended just because you say a certain word. Who knows what the reality is? It could be something entirely different. But the intention to hurt or to malign did not seem to be there. And the result of that was students started to protest. They talked to the university. The university talked to the police And these students were actually arrested under some 200-year-old law that was designed to do something entirely different. And I saw this, and I just thought, this is completely insane. But this gets back to your point about intention and having awareness of context and nuance and intention. Because if you had that, you'd probably step back and say, yeah, maybe I don't like what they're saying. Maybe they are being idiots, but it's not offensive. There's no intent to harm or disparage, or even if there is, so what? Let them do what they want to do. Why do we need to put them in jail? Well, check this out, Van. You get me so worked up saying that because as you were saying that, you know, I'm pitching these two guys. Now that people have empowered words simply by saying the N-word, it's given it power. So the next step is to unleash that power. Where there was no power, now there's power. 
you know, people are, oh my God, oh my God, they're leaving school, they're getting arrested, there's a, a protest, an end of all action and business. And I wonder what the people involved in it, my God, what's going on in your life that you would even have the time to get involved in a protest associated with this? And it flashed on me, I, I, I think I'm going to have my, my kids arrested because they walk around and they'll say, poo-poo, pee-pee, ha-ha-ha. I'm going to make a poo-poo sandwich, ha-ha-ha. And the more you say, hey, watch it, the more they get a kick out of it. So Drona, my, my four-year-old, and uh, Vyasa, my, my two-year-old, and then their friends, they walk around and make fart noises because they know there's going to get a rise out of us, right? And I get it because I was that kid before, but the mothers, my in-laws and the mom, oh my God, please, that's embarrassing, don't do that. And they, it gives them even more power. So here's this powerless person. This person is dependent on you for their food, their shelter, uh, their personal hygiene, everything. Suddenly they have a little bit of power because we've assigned power to words, phrases, and gestures. So it's no different than the children saying, ha ha, poo poo sandwich, right? It's no different. But this is how we, 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 we collectively, the collective we as a society, we've really lost it. I, I'm, I'm imploring the thinkers to reject all of this behavior, truly reject this behavior. And I'm listening to you say that, and I say, my God, that's what my kids do. You, uh, Drona will hear lyrics in a rap song, and the minute his mother says, oh, don't say that's a bad word. That's all he's saying all week. I don't say anything, and it fades back, and he's going back to uh, uh, singing uh, shark do 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 shark do 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 or something like that, right? He goes from, you know, fuck the police and fuck the mother niggas to shark do 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 do, right? Because I don't make a big deal out of it. So we've made a big deal of things, and they've become a big deal. And the remedy is to devalue them divest from that don't let it change your direction it's, and it's very difficult Ben. i understand it's very difficult because this has become part of the cultural landscape it's very orwellian you know it's not offensive it's not threatening unless it is affecting your person know the difference between a threat and an offense not everybody will like you nor should they if you're a genuinely sincere person who is true to yourself, who follows this idea of thine self, be true. Not everybody will like you based on that because you won't do everything they like. But you will find people where you can find wonderful commerce between people that may be dissimilar to you. You'll find the whole world opening up to you because you can get along with different people who have different tastes, different likes and dislikes. You think about how difficult it is just to travel. Travel is something I've always enjoyed and over the years I enjoy it less and less because soon travel will be only the domain of the extremely wealthy because they can afford private planes because public travel is horrific. Horrific. There are allowing horses and pigs 
on the plane. Uh, someone is fighting to have a pet giant slug travel with them and to comfort them. And we're trying to accommodate it. Nobody's saying stop. Maybe because you have debilitating anxiety uh, in this crowded world, since we can't kill off everybody on earth to make you feel comfortable, maybe you should just stay home and enjoy the world through the comfort of your video monitor. Right? We can collectively say that because life on earth can be challenging and harsh. And there's nothing we can do about it but accept it. And in accepting it, you learn a way to navigate it. I've seen blind people flourish, live on their own, and make millions of dollars. If I get a speck of dirt in my eye, the day's over, afternoon's over for me. Because I've never faced and overcome that challenge. They have overcome many challenges, okay? So without challenge, without pushback, without facing the, the, the depths of your character, you don't grow as a human being. Yeah, so, so as we work on remedying this with, with our, those that share common ideas, is it's, it's like an infection. It's like the crack epidemic, right? I remember during the 80s at the height of the crack epidemic, I was always surprised at the sheer number of people that I had known that ended up on crack. And it wasn't uh, the fringes of society. There were businessmen, they were bankers, they were engineers, all of a sudden you say, yeah, he's on crack. I was like, how the hell did he get on crack? Why, if you know that they said you take one hit of it and you're going to chase this thing, you're going to be on the crack. Well, that's all I need to hear is if you take one hit, there's no way, I'm not into drugs. I'm definitely not going to be into something like that that can you know, take me from 100 to zero in a few weeks. But you were surprised at the number of people that were affected by this drug. And so too now we live in a time where, where the narrative is, is like an, an ugly drug with no good outcome. What do you get out of following the herd in this direction? You take this entitlement pill and you have these horrible side effects. And now you can't interact with other people because everything is an offense to you. You're always angry and anxious because you, you need the world to constantly, constantly adjust to every whim. So you're never happy, right? Your coffee's either too hot or too cold. You need to send the food back because it's not just right. You have the sleep comfort bed with a thousand settings, but you, but you need the premium that has 2,000 settings, right? It's never enough. And then how then can you ever live in peace? How can you ever live? So what we have to do is reject that. Find that serenity in the self and center yourself in yourself. Listen to what others have to say. The things you could learn from people and the way that that message is delivered isn't what you're looking for. You're looking for what the message the old saying, if a dog brings you the truth, it's no less the truth. So you can find lessons and growth in places you'd never imagined, but the bearer of that lesson may not be packaged the way you'd like them to be. So you see what even people who think they're good people, the direction they're heading in. We want to sterilize the relationship that we have with all others 
to meet our lowest need. And that is what we fear in the Orwellian stories we hear and we say, well, this can never happen. It's actually happening. And the people who do well are the people who reject that notion altogether. Go listen to comedy. Go see theater. Be offended. Observe things. Don't. Uh, I was talking to somebody. I said, I said, hey, I was reading the news. He says, oh, I don't like to read the news. It scares me. Then they called me and said, hey, I'm stuck in the fire. Drove down the wrong street. I'm trapped in the fire. What should I do? I said, you should watch the news. You should watch the news. Then you wouldn't have drove into the fire. Or whatever it is. Or, or listen for information. Don't look for things that, that please you and entertain you. Because you'll never be happy. See it all. Witness it all. Right? The dispassionate observer. Bird on a wire. Witness it all. And then you can sort yourself out. You can see where you fit. You can see where you belong. And you can define it on your terms. That is when you will find that liberation from offense. Because you'll be very clear there, there are a lot fewer offensive things around. Because a lot of the things that would offend you, you have to thrust yourself into an environment to be offended. You have to go to the KKK rally or whatever it is so you can be offended. You have to go to the opposing team's soccer game and sit on their side if you want to be offended. Go to England and sit on the wrong side of the bench and cheer for the wrong thing. Now you'll be assaulted. Not only will you be offended, you'll be offended as you're going to get your seat. You'll be assaulted shortly after you sit down. So know what that means, right? So when people speak, they're speaking their view of the world. Listen, observe. If somebody makes a disparaging comment about you, they're letting you know how they feel about you, but they have not assaulted you. It may hurt your feelings that they don't like you, but it should always, that means on the opposite side, it should then make you feel good if you find out they like you, right? Now you're still a slave to others. So like yourself, be okay with yourself, and then you can understand people better. And in that understanding, you can build the community around you that supports your world. That's the best we can do. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I definitely follow you. And as we're talking, I'm just thinking how important your message is that we need to start thinking for ourselves. And we need, we need to start wading through this morass of modern society where nothing has any meaning, where people get caught up in the herd mentality, and the herd mentality is based on nothing. It's just based on trends. It's based on whims. But suddenly what's socially acceptable becomes what's moral and what's right. We need to be able to think to step away from that and distinguish whether something is an actual threat, whether it matters, or it's irrelevant. What really struck me about this article that we talked about a few minutes ago, these boys who've gotten arrested, and similarly your story about your kids and how maybe they should get arrested because they're talking about poo-poo and pee-pee, who does this really hurt? Who is the victim in all of this? Number one, who's even paying attention? The only reason people are paying attention is because people decide to protest about it. Otherwise, it would be completely irrelevant. And if you are paying attention, 
what is the actual cost to you? What is the injury? What is the assault? Where is the intention to hurt? I think these are questions that we need to ask. And when you start asking those questions, you can step out of this idea that everything has to accommodate you, that anything you don't want to hear becomes offensive because you know what represents something of significance. You know what actually impacts your life and your happiness. Everything else is noise, and you can turn, tune that out. As we've talked about in the past, I think some of the happiest people in this world are the ones who've gone through the greatest suffering or have experienced the greatest tragedy because they're grateful for everything. They have no expectations. They get up and they're alive, and that's good enough. And they don't need anything else. And the rest of us, unfortunately, particularly when you look at people who have some means and they have some time, they don't have a strong sense of self, so they don't know who they are and what they're about. They're looking for things to glom onto, to define themselves, to give their lives meaning. And if you're not constantly thinking and evaluating, it doesn't matter what you start holding onto. We talked about this last week. You start outsourcing relevance. You can no longer define what's relevant. You no longer have any idea. So you just try to grab onto something, hoping desperately that it's going to create some meaning in your life. And that's where these ideas come from, that if someone disagrees with me, that's an offense, that's a personal attack. No, it's not. But to step away from that and recognize that, you need to be able to think and you need to be very secure in yourself. Because when you lose that security, you're very likely to get swept away by whatever the crowd is doing. You're right, Vin. We've mistaken offense for threat. And what's offensive is oftentimes simply a statement of view. I see you this way or I see you that way. And what people are now calling these offenses threats now they're rallying up and acting as if they were threatened. And you should act on a credible threat. If somebody says they're going to harm you, believe them. But if somebody shares a limited perspective of you, you're tall, you're short, you're fat, you're skinny, that's their observation of you. Was, my kid was walking through the store and he looked at somebody and said, hey, that lady's fat. He meant no offense. One person broke down crying, stormed out of the store, down to bottle of Prozac or something. Another person just laughed and said, yeah, you're little. And they giggled. So same words, but valuing them in different ways. So we have again has this distorted, twisted nomenclature in our mantra. Are you threatened? Did they threaten your person? Or do you not like the way they think? And if you don't, you feel threatened by the way they think, that's your problem. Because I would love to know how a person thought about me because it helps me as I'm developing a relationship with them. Or not. So what we're telling people is don't share your view. And I will form a view for you that you should have of me. And you must go along with that. 
I think that's offensive. And I actually, I think it's threatening. It threatens our sensibilities. It threatens our ability to evolve as people. Accept that people aren't just like you. Accept that people may see you in a way that you don't see yourself. A mother will always see her child as better than all other children that needs more food, more warmth than any other. That's how we've survived as a species. Above that, as we want to evolve, we have to take that maternal bias, channel it through our own psyche and say, hey, that's how you see me. And it could be based on their past experiences, a brief moment with you, and they made a whole decision about you. Why would you be mad about that? Now, if they that decision made them pull a hatchet and start swinging at you, then you're being threatened now. You should, you should act accordingly. But anything less than that, okay, that's how they see me. That's where stereotypes and prejudices come from. But again, how do we address that? By actually talking and getting to know each other. Not yelling and saying, no, you better not think that. That's what we're saying now. You better not think that. So we repress our thoughts. We no longer communicate. Everything is done under the cloak of darkness in a clandestine and stealthful way. So now you're seeing discrimination rise, right? Polarization is rising. Uh, people will learn not to hire certain people for fear of those people being threatened and, 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 and creating liability for them, right? So we're going backwards socially. This is the most polarized time in society I can remember in my 60-something years on this earth. It is more divided, more isolated, more uncomfortable. So this hasn't worked. So for those of us thinking to take our world back, we, again, have to modify our thinking in a positive way. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, it's one of the ironies of our modern time. In our desire not to offend, we suppress. And in that suppression, we create actual threats. We create people who are ready to go to battle against each other. So as we've talked about, a lot of this is narrative. I like this idea of being able to distinguish between an actual threat and just an opinion that we might not agree with, a view that's different from our own. I think that's very important to get clear in our mind. This idea of not being entitled, so reject entitlement wherever you see it, is very powerful. The idea that we don't need to be liked is also important. Let people think what they're going to think. We can't control that. The logical outcome of that, as you said, Z, is to kill everyone around us who disagrees with us. And then who's going to be left to like us and to give us a thumbs up on Facebook? And so that's going to destroy our self-esteem. So it just becomes ridiculous. So I think these narratives can be very powerful. We've talked about a handful of them. And as we were discussing earlier, you'd mentioned something interesting. So I'd asked you the question, well, if we start to change our narratives, it's one thing to identify what the right narratives are. How do we internalize those? How do we make those a part of ourselves and really start to alter the way that we think about the world? You talked about professional athletes and this idea that they're always psyching themselves up. So Muhammad Ali back in the day, from the time that he was young, he was always telling himself, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. And eventually he became the greatest. Professional athletes across the board, 
they're doing mental preparation, they're doing visualization. Talk about that for a bit. How can we use those same techniques to internalize these narratives and really get us to a place where we're opting out of this culture of offense? I say what I do, I, I create, I created in my life a deity board and I have all the people that are role models to me. Some of them are people that I have known and, and some of them are people of philosophy and folklore and their stories or their legend and, and I like that. And that's who I try to be like. And what it's brought me is not kind of a, 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 a rigid rule of morality, but it's created overseers, people who look down on me, um, guardian angels, so to say, that say, hey, here, here's the behavior that I exhibited that made me the person you admire. And I remember that thing, and I think about those people, and sometimes... Uh, the sentiment for them wells up in my heart, be it my brother or some uh, great guru, uh, Khalil Gibran. I, I always think about Khalil Gibran. I was telling uh, someone from Lebanon that's one of the places in my life I'd like to go is just to go to his home. I went to the home of Yogananda and I admired his love and devotion to his teacher. And I patterned my reverence for my teacher be, uh, based on his role model and how he treated Sri Kateshwar and how Sri Kateshwar created Lahiri Mahasai and, and Sri Aurobindo and, and all these just great gurus. Um, I was hearing the stories of the great uh, African chiefs and scientists and different people that I really admire both with how they worked and stayed up and followed their vision so I have a deity board with those people on it, and I use that as part of my my tantra. And I think about them every day, every day. When I'm a little down or whatever, I, I think about this new kid that broke the marathon world record. And he said, my discipline, not my emotion. So I'm able to sell, separate the fatigue of worry and stress and dealing with changes in the business and and, and raising little ones and connecting with my older ones and all the the daily weight of, 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 of love and challenges. And I think of that, my discipline. So I'll go and work out. I'll make sure I study more. And I downloaded one of my language apps to work on uh, my language skills. And those are things that you can do. And they clear your mind. They really clear your head. And when things are foggy, they become a fog light, a searchlight through the fog, the haze. Because this stuff out here creates fog and haze. There's a lot of noise coming in from the media. There's a lot of stuff that people are being led by the nose, like sheep to, uh, to the butcher, in a way, that you want to pull yourself out. If you're not aware of that, you'll be sucked right into it. You'll be talking the way that the Faithless Committee has said to talk you will find reason in unreasonable things. We live in interesting times where, the, as they say in the Vedas, where right is wrong, wrong is right, up is down. We can't distinguish gender, people. All contracts are vague and, and they're, 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 they're an option your word has no value. 
But those things are valuable. They are important. And we have to give them reverence. Because that's how we evolve. That's how we do better as people. You can't get better without feeling, knowing your worst. You can't build character without challenge, without being able to face challenge. And if you can face challenge with humility and courage, you become heroic in your actions. And you can be your own personal hero. So I say again, don't be offended by people that have little connection to you. Don't be sucked into this idea that everything that isn't fitting you is a threat to your safety, to your uh, well-being. It's not, not at all. The biggest threat to your safety and well-being is not having control of your own mind. The one thing, control, that you will never regret is your mind. Take control of your own mind. Study the words and phrases you use that frame and design your reality and take care of them. Allow them to be precious. Be mindful of what you say because that's what you're going to do. Be mindful of what you hear because that's the picture you're going to paint that is going to cause you to act or react. It is better to respond than to react, to take a contemplative path through all your actions. And you would surprise that most people aren't threatening you. They're not mad at you. They're not offending you. Most people are just trying to get on with their life. They're not even thinking about you. They're overwhelmed with stress, tired, lack of sleep, poor nutrition. They have little energy to think about you. So you need to think about yourself. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, it reminds me of a book that I read called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And at the beginning of that book, the author was sharing a personal observation or personal story. He was on a subway, and there was a father, and he had a couple of kids, and the kids were just running around screaming, and they were getting in everyone's way, and they were irritating the shit out of everyone. And this was just agitating the author, and he was getting more and more upset, more and more angry. And finally, he thought to himself, I'm going to do something about this. So he stands up, he walks over to the man, and he said something like, you know, your kids are really creating a ruckus. They're all over the place. And the man looked up, very listless, and he said, yeah, yeah, their mother just died. We just left the hospital, and they're really upset, and I don't really know what to do about it. And in that instant, the author's entire perspective shattered. And he went from being annoyed to being compassionate to feeling a connection with this person. And I think it really speaks to the point you just made. People are just trying to get through life. You're not that important. They don't care about you. They're not going to go out of their way to bring you down. I think there are a few people like that. But fortunately, in this day and age, we can limit our interactions with those people. We don't need to read message boards. We can choose whom we spend our time with. I think that's another important idea to keep in mind, that people are doing the best that they can. So let's not be so quick to judge or so quick to take offense. 
And you're really right, you know, because I, I always talk to my nephews and them about being online and they get worked up and they have arguments on message boards. And I say, there's a good chance that that message board isn't even another human being. It's a bot. And even if it is a human being, you'll never have an encounter with them. It's, 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 it's anonymous. It's detached. Why are you investing so much of your energy into that? That's not what we wanted to do with the technology. It's not the benefit of the technology. It's exchange ideas, knowledge, develop skills, educate yourself, infinitely educate yourself. So we, we, we have to guard our mind, guard, and then and from there, guard your behavior. Um, you don't know what other people are going through. It's the events of road rage, an outburst of all kinds. People are chasing each other down the highway. Uh, so the lack of human connection has created this kind of horrific stalking of rage, um, a sense of a, a, a brief moment of importance, some any connection, even if it's painful. So let's take our life back. Let's control our mind. Let's positively control our mind. And uh, again, do a deity board. Think about it. What is a threat? What offends you? What affects your life at all? Create the healthy boundaries and nurture the people in your life that give you life back. Avoid things that drain your life. Avoid people that drain you. And you see all of a sudden, this short time you have on earth is much more enjoyable than it is. It's more enjoyable than difficult. Right, Vin? Amen, brother. Nothing's going to give you more than peace of mind. So let's cultivate that peace of mind. And to do that, we need to stop being offended. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.